Hello, everybody, and welcome to Beyond the Paranormal Podcast. It's Tuesday, 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 Tuesday. And before we jump into this, please get out and subscribe to the YouTube page and our Facebook page. It takes two seconds, folks. Come on. You know, it's not TikTok or anything like that. But anyway, we have some awesome, awesome guests on this podcast, and we have some great co-hosts as well. On today's podcast, we want to welcome Jim Warner. He is the operations manager of Eloise Asylum and plus the mighty Pinhurst Asylum. And the Pinhurst Asylum. It is beautiful. It is a nice place. And also my favorite co-hosts are on here with us, but Crit is not here today with us. She's under the weather. She'll be back next uh, Tuesday. But we have Rihanna, as always. She's on here casting her spells. So, Jim, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me uh, on today. And sorry I missed it last week, but life got real crazy on me. I'm going to make it up for you tonight, I promise. Hey, things happen, man. That's why we I understand that crap, honey. Trust me, I do uh, another podcast and schedule interviews, and I, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so, being the operations manager for both of these asylums, uh, schools, hospitals, give us uh, a Tell everybody exactly what an operations manager does for these locations. Well, um, the operations manager is in charge of the operation of the site. Uh, what that means is things like uh, human resources, hiring, different development of our different programs, whether it be haunted attraction, paranormal tours, um, paranormal experience tours, or history. Um, no matter what's happening on site, the operations manager is there to ensure that it's done well, that things go well, that people are safe, that they're having an enjoyable time. Whether it be a, a wedding or a, or a massive paracon, the operations manager is kind of the, the go-to to make sure that everything keeps moving forward. Rihanna, has, jump in here when you want to. Don't let me take over everything. No, you're good. Um <laughs> We were talking before we went live about um, one of the events that you had ran. Um, my favorite musicians of all time did a live in front of Van Hurst. And I was just wanted to compliment the architecture, the structure itself, the building itself is so inviting and so beautiful to um, just the dark academia kind of vibe that I feel like because of TikTok has become just so trendy. And I just wanted to ask, have you noticed like the growth and the interest of tourism of those um, locations as the, I guess, visitors and stuff have that, has that grown for you? Well, uh, I mean, to be honest, people have been gravitating towards the, the incredible look of Penhurst for long before I was involved with the place. Mm -hmm. um, the place has a very unique look, which coincidentally, when the state authorized the buildings to be constructed, they specifically said that there could be, there should be no flourishes, there should be no fancy. Um, so Penhurst, as, as awe-inspiring as some of these buildings are now, mm -hmm. back when they were built in the, at the turn of the century, uh, were very plain were without a lot of ornamentation. Um, and it's highlighted, if you if you ever have an opportunity to look at the architecture of Penhurst and then look at the architecture of Eloise, you can you can tell like apples to oranges, like which one didn't was allowed to be fancy. Because yeah. Eloise, when it was built, 
was spires and turrets and parapets and all of this incredible ornation. And Penhurst was very stripped down, um, very bare bones, but still so beautifully elegant. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that really stands to the, the test of time of what the architecture was back then. It really was art. Yeah. I love how Penhurst is designed. It's just like you're talking about, man, and it, it is beautiful. I like how it's laid out, but there's so behind that beauty, there's a dark force behind it. You know what I mean? It's got that attraction to it. And uh, it's the same with, with Eloise, man. I mean, we're going to get into all this because it, it it's, I think it's crazy on how something that was supposed to help the community and everybody just pretty much turned, you know what I mean? It's like, Absolutely. you know, it's like, it's like saying, screw you. I turn your, I turn my back on, you know what I mean? It's, it's a weird, weird thing. We're going to get into all this. Uh, speaking of what Rihanna was talking about, about the uh, tourists and things like that, visitors, have you seen the paranormal um, spike happen for both these places during the pandemic? Has it got more business you think uh, during all this or has it just slowed down some? No, we, um, I mean, obviously during the height of the pandemic, when the whole world was closed, we were closed. Oh yeah. Um, and, and like every business we felt that, but I will say that as, um, Pennhurst was, was truly cutting edge in regards to COVID safety and COVID compliance. And we were able to run because of how dedicated we were to following the rules. Um, so we were able to get back open sooner and maintain better than other industries that had to kind of figure it out. We already had a real good idea of how to how to operate, keep social distancing, and allow family units to investigate together um, and, and keep people, you know, safely away from each other so they could still enjoy the place. Right. Um, and then now, I mean, now, much like the rest of the world, we're open and we're doing business and people are visiting us um, and they're having what looks like from reviews and from talking to guests, they're having a fantastic time. It's, it's, it, it, even if you come to Penhurst for a paranormal investigation, you're still getting to spend hours, whether you get evidence or not, you're spending hours at one of the most unique places in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of videos and, and things that you can go out there and watch, man. There's some evidence that I've seen that blows my mind from both of these locations. Um, just, I mean, just go out there and watch them, folks. You'll be shocked. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of like the the buildings and all this stuff, I was going to say that uh, Penhurst was open in 1908, and then Eloise was opened in. Jim can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong on this. Was uh, 1839? Is that correct for both of these? That is 1839 is when Eloise, the the poorhouse, originally opened. Um, and then it, it went through many iterations over the years. It grew, it it contracted, it grew again, it was renamed, parts of it burnt down, parts of it were rebuilt literally right on top of the parts that burnt down. Mm-hmm. Um, Eloise has an incredibly storied history, but it's much longer than Penhurst's history. Um, mm-hmm. Because remember, the, the Penhurst was not, and that this is a key thing here, was not an asylum. Asylums existed long before Penhurst. Mm-hmm. What Penhurst was, was a repository for people with special needs as an answer to what to do with people with special needs, people who had neurodiversity, Down syndrome, or physical disabilities. Yeah. Um, and that was different because whereas Eloise was a poorhouse and an asylum, 
Pennhurst came into existence because society said we can't allow these these people to exist in that environment. We can't send them to prison. We can't send them to asylums. We need to come up with something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the main difference between Pennhurst and Eloise um, is that Pennhurst was an answer, a very uh, an answer that went very wrong. Yeah. But an answer to a problem of, well, what do we do with these people? Because they, they can't function in these places that we already have. So for the folks that don't understand uh, what a poorhouse is, because Ellie's that, uh, like you said, it was Wayne County poorhouse, which opened in 1839. Can you elaborate on what a poorhouse oh. would have been back in those days or in the 1800s? Well, so nowadays um, we have social we have social safety nets. We have welfare system we have grants we have there's there's some levels of social safety net um back then you had homelessness but you also had people who lost their jobs lost their homes didn't have anything and the poor houses were the were the kind of congregate care catch-all for them that was the safety net at the time where you work those poor houses you work the feet you, you it was basically a, an exchange labor for for lodgings in a lot of cases but also there was people who couldn't work that would end up in the poor house um and the term oh you're going to end up in the poor house is, is reflective of that of, of that idea that you've lost your home you've lost your resources so Whereas we have safety nets that are much different now. Back then, in the in the eighteen hundreds, the poorhouse was literally the safety net. It was a very very poor safety net. It wasn't good. You didn't want to be in the poorhouse ever. Rihanna, hmm? I was gonna say hop in here if you want to. Oh no, I was just listening. <laughs> so, how far in in advancement were these two locations at the time uh, that they stood and was active? Jim, in your opinion? Um, so I don't believe, I mean, Eloise had groundbreaking research done in x-ray and inoculation. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pennhurst was groundbreaking when it comes to things like ABA therapy and other other types of uh, really, honestly, ground at the time, groundbreaking therapies, um, physical rehabilitation and that sort of stuff for uh, children who are differently abled. Mm-hmm. But realistically they were slaves to the society that they were in um so eloise during its existence you would find the same things that you would find at any other medical establishment during that time and of course now we look back on it as archaic when we look at things like um un un can kind of you know out out there electroshock or or lobotomies or any of those type of procedures we look back on them through the lens of history and we say, my God, how barbaric. That was, so but, cruel. That was inhumane. Yeah. Yeah. Lobotomies were performed at all most major hospitals. So some of the most widely regarded medical establishments in the country were doing the same thing at the same time. It's because that at the time was the practice. And it's very important that we always look through that lens of, oh, my God, they did electroshock therapy to these people. Well, of course, because that's what they did to um, everybody everywhere. Yeah. You know? So um, in regards to groundbreaking, though, like I said, Eloise is very well known for for the staggering amount of X-ray um, research and, and being groundbreaking in the, the field of uh, radiology. Um, and Pennhurst is is was a, a, a grounds where they developed a lot of the 
cornerstones of today's modern treatments and therapies for things like uh, neurodiversity and and Down syndrome and different learning disabilities. Like Pennhurst was a place where a lot of that was developed. The thing about Eloise, when I look at it, it kind of puts me in mind of Waverly Hills with its battle with, you know, fight against tuberculosis uh, when it was going on. And plus, another thing with Eloise is like, it was home to the first kidney dialysis unit in Michigan. Yeah. That, uh, that blows my mind. Yeah. Um, and that, the, the place actually expanded, uh, correct, Jim, to uh, 902 acres with more than 70 buildings on the property. Yeah, Eloise was absolutely massive. Yeah. And I mean massive. And now it's down to, I think, four buildings. Oh, wow. Four buildings. Um, that's all that's left. A uh, lot of development, a lot of tear it down, get it out of here type of mentality. But that was that was the way of things. 1970s and 80s was tear it down, tear it down. Mm-hmm. Um, Eloise, Eloise was was absolutely breathtaking when it was open to look at. Now, were the conditions... Not so much, but it looked amazing. Like it really breathtaking. Some of the photos. Mm-hmm. Eventually both of these locations were ran over with patients and the doctors just either didn't have time or just the patients or care enough of, about the patients. When did you think that there was a turn to go to, you know, these stories that we're hearing about what patients went through and then leading into the paranormal and stuff like that? So Penhurst opened in 1908. Mm-hmm. By 1912, there was formal letters drafted by leadership saying, we are overwhelmed. We do not have enough resources. Please help. Mm-hmm. Within four years. And those conditions existed almost immediately. Almost as soon as it opened, Penhurst was overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, they, did, they never had the resources. And they tried. The people that were there did try. But they were always... They were always just so far behind. Um, Penhurst was a place where people were thrown away, where people were just dropped off. Um, it originally was the Penhurst School for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic. And we use those words now, and we think literally, oh, feeble-minded. Well, that means just not smart. And epileptic means they have seizures. Why would, why would we send those two groups there? But those two terms were so broad back then. When they said epileptic, they weren't speaking of the disease of epilepsy. They were using it as a blanket term for anyone who didn't have complete control or had spastic motions, who couldn't control their body correctly, who who involuntarily moved their body. And when we think about kids today or or adults who who have autism and have sensory and stimming, flapping of their arms and other such behaviors. Also was considered epileptic. Yeah. All of that would have been under epileptic and feeble-minded, feeble-minded was defined as whatever whatever they just decided. I mean, there were so many reasons why people were dropped off Penhurst. And you would end up with this melting pot of perfectly fine people with people that were, you know, that had, that needed medical care, that had, you know, disabilities or that had shortcomings. And you would have this environment where it, it bred it, it bred conflict between the two, you know, mm-hmm. um, you had people that didn't need any resources next to people that needed much resources. And that allowed a victim and aggressor type of type of environment to grow. Um, 
same thing with Eloise. You're, the people, a lot of the people in Eloise were poor, destitute. They didn't have resources and they found themselves at the mercy of the people in charge or at the mercy of the stronger people in the wards that they were in, you know, very similar to like how the prison relationships work where the big guy on the block calls the shots. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the death rate like of people who were there a considerable amount of deaths in Eloise in the beginning, or was it supposed to be, was it intended to be um, like a temporary housing for people and then were there a lot of cases of people who just were so destitute, so poor, and so feeble in the position where there was a lot of deaths? Well, there were it, there was many infirm. There was many people that were sick. There was many people that were mentally unwell. And of course, you know, when we're talking about mental health, we it's 2022 and we're still terrible at mental health. Mm-hmm. So can you, you can only imagine how it was 100 years ago, 120 years ago. Jeez. Um, yeah, they I mean, today we're still terrible. Up and I'm in, them off. Yeah. Um, and they didn't know how to treat them. They didn't. They didn't know what they were doing. It. 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 There was a lot of bad medicine because we just didn't know better. Um, but the the death rates were higher because you have anytime you have people in a congregate environment where they're next to each other, they're going to transfer disease faster. They're going to transfer it's just standard sickness. You end up with the same case of bronchitis or flu circling around the ward multiple times because as soon as you get better you catch it again yeah Um, and that breeds that type of environment breeds a higher a higher rate of death um with penhurst penhurst was a different animal altogether because some of these uh some of these were chromosomal anomalies some of these were birth defects some of these some of these kids only had because of their ailments only had a lifespan of 12 years 15 years so they were sick kids or they were, they were kids that were, didn't have a long life expectancy. So you ended up with a lot of death at both sites. Mm-hmm. That's so sad, man. I think about this. You're, you're at home one day and you think your family loves you and all that stuff. And then they just take you and drop you off at say Eloise or Pinhurst and, and they never well, come check on you. And that's the way it was. They, some of these folks that was their home until their death. Yeah. And and that is a hundred percent correct. Yeah. I've done but, so much research too on especially women and uh ailments that are particular to women um at the time like they could just admit a woman because she was depressed and therefore she was crazy and the whole term of being hysterical comes from what they would um diagnose women at the time in the early 1900s late 1800s when these places were thriving, um, they would just diagnose women with hysteria if they were hormonally crazy or just like how would you call someone, you know, a bitch at the time, they would say, well, let's admit her, she's got hysteria. So it's kind of scary. And I'm glad it is that I was born in. It is, it is very scary how liberal they were. And I have, I actually have a, a neat conjunction that goes with, uh, specifically with women and being, um, being sent to being committed. But before that, I want to dial, let me just turn it back a little. Um, we were talking specifically about like, you know, imagine you're at home and you think you're with your loved ones and then they send you to Penhurst. Yeah. Um, I gotta, I have to frame that a little bit because it's, you're right, because that is what happened. 
But let me let me walk you down a little bit here and see if I can shed some historic uh, viewpoint to that. Mm-hmm. So the year is 1916. Okay, you your family has your brand new brother born. Seems real. Seems not normal. Something's wrong. By the year three or four, he's not talking. He's not communicating. He's lashing out. Family doesn't know what to do. Family's like overwhelmed because they've never seen this situation before. And they're not they're not doctors. They're not lawyers. It's 1916. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they work at a factory or something if they're lucky, you know, mm-hmm. or they are they're farmers. So what do they do? Well, society says that you take the advice of your community leaders at that time. And who were those leaders? So you go to you go to the doctor. Let's say you find a doctor and you go to the doctor and say, what do we do? The doctor says, oh, oh, well, you know what this is. This is such and such. And uh, you know what you have to do? You got to send them to Pennhurst. That's that's the place that they built for people just like your son. Mm-hmm. So you should send it there. Now, let's say the family is like, you know, the doctor is the doctor. I should probably listen to him. But this is our son. I don't I don't know how I feel about this. So now they're having a crisis of conscience. So mm-hmm. they've already gotten what they think is the scientific answer. Now they're having a moral crisis. They don't want to give up their kid. Sure. So who do they go to? They go to their pastor, their preacher, their rabbi, and they say, what do we do? And he says, oh, well, there's this place called Penhurst. You should send yeah. him there. That's made for him. So society decided to segregate people with special needs and the leaders of society bought into it. Yeah. So when a family's told, hey, send my kid, they did. Now, it doesn't mean they didn't love them. And when we say, oh, they never saw him again. How, do you have any idea how hard it was to go from Center City, Philadelphia to Pennhurst in 1930? Tremendously. Yeah. It was it was not a day. It was it was a day trip. Mm-hmm. And that's if you had access to a vehicle, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you might rarely see a family member. Even when you get into the 50s and the automotive revolution of the 50s and 60s, it was still several hours drive because mm-hmm. of the way the roads were. There was no highways. There was no major, yeah. major thoroughfares. And Pennhurst is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So I, it's very easy to try to blame people for the horrible conditions at Pennhurst and to hold people accountable. But we have to realize that human beings are always going to make human decisions. Mm-hmm. And when a person is making a decision, they can be wrong just as often as they're right. Yes, and it's all based on their environment, what they know and what the feedback is. So I try not to be, I'd like to think that if the families understood that Penhurst was a mistake, I'd like to think that most of them wouldn't have chose to send their children there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what makes you say that it would have a mistake? Are there um, documentation of people being mistreated or things like that? Were there a lot of complaints? So... Oh, yeah. The, there was a lot. There, there was mistreatment. There was assaults. But the main thing is institutional neglect. Yes. The reason Penhurst is wrong, first and foremost, is because we should never warehouse human beings, ever. Every single time in history that we have tried to warehouse human beings, it ends up horrible. Look at our prison systems right now. Mm-hmm. They're a complete failure. Look at, look at, look at work camps. Look at Look at every 
time that we've put a bunch of people in a place and said, this is where you belong. I mean, look at the atrocities of the 1940s in Germany. Yes. It's the same model. It's the same model. We have no right to, to warehouse humans. And every time we think we do, it's always going to go, it's always going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. And that was the main thing. Because what happens is, is the second you warehouse humans, you stop looking at them as humans. As they're, just, just, yeah. they're just numbers. They're right. no longer an individual. You've stripped them of that. Yeah. So now they're a number on a, on a spreadsheet. They're a, they're a line item. And when you're Congress people, when you're senators, when they're, when they're deciding budgets, it's real easy to say, you know what? We can save money and not raise taxes by only paying a dollar a day for the care of these people. Because mm-hmm. they don't have to see it, they don't have to deal with it. You know, it's just a number on a it's a number on a piece of paper. And a lot and of that's, nonverbal, that's um, and there yeah. was no accountability for these humans. Yeah. There was yeah. no one to vocalize what was going on. So, oh. yeah, and and then and therein lies the problem because because they're underfunded, you cannot. You can't pay for great workers with low with low wages. So who's who's working at Pennhurst? Now don't get me wrong, I know people that worked at Pennhurst and they are just this side of saintly. They were wow. they are incredible people who spent their lives trying to improve the lives of the people that they interacted with. Mm-hmm. And then there are ports of workers who were just scraped the bottom of the barrel, got a job at Pennhurst because it's all they could get, and they mistreated these patients. And in some cases, they assaulted them. In some cases, they abused them, uh, both physically and sexually. Yes. Uh, and that's that's the real crime, because if they had higher standards, if they had more funding, if they had more workers, these type of abuses would have been less common. But they still would have existed because the, the entire premise was flawed. Mm-hmm. You can't warehouse people. How many... I was trying to find this answer, but I was just like, I'll just wait and ask you because you would, you would probably know this more than I will for sure. On both properties, is there an, a large amount of unmarked graves or are they graves there with their names on it or numbers? How is this set up? How do they do this posture? Did they try to get a hold of the family or no? So at Eloise, uh, there is speculated upwards of 7,000 pauper graves um, across oh, Michigan. Yeah. Jesus, um, and that's just because that was the graveyard, and these were um, one of the one of the spearheaded things that we're hoping to work on is the development of a nonprofit whose whose entire premise is to identify the the graves and give back names to the numbered graves we have over there. Um, so that is a project that it's in its infancy, but it is something that we've all thought about and that we're we're pursuing. Mm-hmm. With right. Penhurst, uh, Penhurst has an on site. Um, cemetery that is off limits to the public. It cannot be visited. It cannot, we don't, it is, it is the closest thing at Penhurst that we it is, it is the closest thing we have at Penhurst to a, to a, almost a holy grant. We, we, we protect that like there's no tomorrow. Um, yeah want people tromping on it we don't want people paranormal and it is a place of rest and it is a place of peace um because and it's of probably the last thing that those people got um considering yeah. conditions if they had passed there 
I think they deserve that piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, at the very least, uh, a marked grave is is the last you know decency decent thing we can do for these people. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are rumors, and I've heard rumors, and I've read stories about mass graves at the Penhurst site, and I've got to tell you, after over a decade on site doing independent research, working with independent researchers, we have never found any evidence of a mass grave on site, mm-hmm. of, of a pauper's field on site. Um, the 1919 flu death cemetery is really the only thing that we've ever been able to find. There's there's some telltale evidence that normally will be in existence if the mass grave exists, and we've never been able to locate anything like that. Um, plus, Penhurst has much, much better records even though our records are a little spotty, which they're not my records, it's the state's records, but right. they are a little bit spotty, but there's better records of what happened to people after they died. Um, many of them were cremated. Many of them were interred in uh, Phoenixville cemeteries um, or released to their families. Because you got to remember, with Penhurst, somebody probably dropped them off. So mm-hmm. they would come pick them up. Mm-hmm. I want to go over this before we get into uh, more the, the paranormal side, but uh, can you clarify and, and, and verify on this? What I'm going to ask you about, like we were talking about earlier before the podcast about people at Penhurst, they had their teeth pulled. Was that due to just not being able to control the ones that like maybe, maybe would like, like bite you or just, what was that all about? I mean, was that something that everybody had to do? Or was that just something where it came to the point where, hey, they're biting, we got to stop this? So the teeth removal is, to me, one of the most shocking things that yeah, you can say. They're yeah. literally pulling the teeth out of the mouth of children. Why? Why? To think of it in today's terms, it is tantamount to just child abuse. But once again, it's a torture. I agree. But let's take this back to 1935, 1940, 1950. Mm-hmm. You have a mental, um, I'm going to use the term mentally handicapped, mental, uh, but you have a, a very non-neurotypical child who has communication issues, who has stimming issues. So you bring him in. He's at Penhurst and he bites his caretaker. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then you put him in bed and he won't stay in bed. So you got to tie him to bed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just to keep him in bed. And then he turns his head to the left. He sees the metal bed rail and he starts chewing on it. Like we would chew on a marshmallow, mm-hmm. breaking his teeth, crushing his mouth, causing lacerations to the, to the gums, bleeding everywhere. Mm-hmm. That child at the time, there are no medications, there are no therapies. So what option do we have other than removing their teeth? Yeah. You know, yeah. and when you look at that situation, now don't get me wrong, there are times that a child would bite a caretaker and they would pull their teeth almost out of, uh, almost out of uh, punishment. And that yeah. did happen. But for many, many of them, teeth removal was the only way to stop them from harming themselves or others. Mm-hmm. And it's terrifyingly sad. It's, it's heartbreakingly sad. But at was the time... Type of numbing or sedation with that? Or was it kind of under that mindset? Like I've read, done some research, and especially on the nonverbal people, 
uh, during that time period that they believed that they had a different pain tolerance just because they couldn't vocalize. And that is true. And once again, that's bad medicine. You know, yeah. that was just the bad, bad intel, bad knowledge. They, they did. They thought, oh, and don't get me wrong, the, the, the analgesics of the time were utilized no different than they'd use on a battlefield. But it's still not, it's, there's nothing good about it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's terribly wrong. Even looking at it through, through our, our through our modern view, it's, it was wrong. It was so bad. Mm-hmm. But they, a lot of times they had no other choice and that's not an excuse. It doesn't make it right, but it's a, it's a, it's an understanding of why such horrific behavior could exist in the world. Jeez. No reason why these locations are haunted is due to the negativity and the abuse and everything that these folks went through. And I got to say, you know, not just for you, Jim, but the people that came before you, kudos to Penhurst for letting these folks lay in rest and not having paranormal investigators out there 24-7. I mean, I like to paranormal investigate. I'm a paranormal researcher, but I have my boundaries, and I do. Um, I have watched um, the famous ones on Discovery Channel <laughs> literally go to grave sites and hook up equipment and mm. just be standing on these graves and trying to investigate. And I'm like, man, I want to get my evidence too, but... I just think that's so disrespectful and it's like you're shredding that last bit of um, decency from these people. And it's, yeah. I mean, these people went through enough shit when they was there. Just leave them be. I agree. I agree. And the, one of the cornerstones to both of our paranormal programs is a, is a great, great sense of respect to Mm -hmm. the, to the site, to the history, and to whoever is left. Um, it's a major focus for us. Um, we, I mean, we, we have rules that are rooted in the idea of you're, you can't use slurs at our site. Um, at Penhurst, we, we will literally stop an investigation if they start being like hyper aggressive or, or uh, they try to elicit, you know, they do that challenging where they're yelling, show yourself, you know. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. work at Penhurst. That that doesn't. I, I try to explain it to him. Like, you are never going to get a response doing that. Like, you're just you're not going to get anything. Like, oh. this is a place where children died. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a minute. Do you really think shouting is gonna is gonna up your chances of getting a positive EBP? Like, mm-hmm. you're out of your mind. That's not how this works. No. Show some respect for the place. Mm-hmm. I would love to come to Penhurst one day, but I think it wouldn't actually hit me till I'm there. You know what I mean? So I'm actually in that building, knowing what these folks went through, especially these little kids, man, wanting their mom and dad, and they don't have that. I mean, it's yeah. mm, it upsets me. <laughs> I just, I, I, I could not throw my child away for anything. I don't, it I don't care. I don't so much differently though, then it was viewed so much differently. Having a special needs child at the time, um, you didn't well, keep them. It, That's not it, how it worked. Yeah. yeah. Also, and this is an important thing. I can't stress this point enough. Having having a child is differently able, special needs, physical or developmental disability. At the time, if we're talking 1920, 1930, 1940, do you realize that a hundred years before that, 
the kid was possessed. Oh yeah. You know I, what I mean? Yeah. Like we're we're yeah. talking the infancy of the understanding of what what was going on with some of these these children. Mm-hmm. Um and science just took forever to catch up. Mm-hmm. I want to so, switch. Go ahead, Brown. I'm sorry. Yeah. Speaking of AVPs and stuff, um, when you've been on site and on location, have you yourself um, experienced anything firsthand without equipment, without any type of special um, tools? Have you ever just naked eye in a moment experienced something? Yes, absolutely. I've heard, I've heard voices when nobody else was on the property. <clears throat> I've had people yell, help me. Oh, uh, from out of coming out of a building that when I walked into, I set off the motion detectors, scared the crap out of me. Um, I've seen a, a full apparition. Um, once again, though, I don't, I don't interact. Like I, you know, it's, it's, I'm there so much that I, I acknowledge and move right on. I don't even yeah. categorize them anymore because oh, Seeing something out of the corner of my eye is is a is a daily occurrence. It's oh, what was that? I'm not worried about it. I don't even I don't even look to see what it was. I just you ignore know it. There, it's never. You're never. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What's What's been your most interesting paranormal experience personally, or maybe just a report of someone telling you from either hospital? And I mean, I'm sure that these doctors are still lingering there too. Well, and once again, it's it's did they did they leave an imprint? Is it actually their spirit or is it something residual from a high stress moment, you know, in time that left an imprint on the very fabric of the, of the time? Um, we have reports of nurses walking the halls. We have reports of little girls walking the halls, little boys. Um, we have some larger entities of uh, one of of a janitor. Another one is of, some just very malicious spirit that dwells in one of our tunnels. Um, for me personally, my, my top tier story, um, several years ago, I was in the admin building and I was ripping out, I was literally ripping out a wall. And to my back was the stairway that goes down into the basement of the admin building. And there's a landing there and there's a door and it's open. And as I'm, I'm working on ripping down part of the electric in this wall, I'm standing on a step ladder, like eight feet in the air. And I look over and in the doorway, sitting in the doorway, just peeking around at me is a little boy uh, with a crew cut, brown hair. I would say eight years old, extremely thin. And I could see through him, but he was there. And me being me, I don't, you know, I don't talk. I don't, hey, how are you? I just go back to working because I work there. And... I'm doing my thing. And when I look back, I, I have no intention whatsoever that I'm going to see this kid again. I just, I know it's, oh, it's gone. He's gone. I look back, he's still sitting there and he's just watching me. And I see his head moving and looking at the ladder and looking at what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm like, huh? So I go back, I keep working. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm just going to ignore it till the little guy goes away. I'm like, something's happening here, but I'm pretty damn sure I can see through him. And he's not making any noise or anything. I look back again, and now we're, we're going on five minutes of time here. Wow. I look back again, just to verify that he's now officially gone, he's still there. Wow. So so at this point in time, I'm 
I'm like, wow, this is, this is something significant. And maybe, maybe I need to go grab my phone. Maybe I need to, you know, so I start climbing down the ladder. Soon as I set foot at the bottom of the ladder, I look, kid's gone. <laughs> so I say to myself, I say to myself, I'm like, well, let me go make sure that this wasn't actually a kid. So I look, everything's secure. There's no one in the building. Um, but the, the, he was wearing the type of clothing that the kids would wear, like the, the very basic cotton style, you know, mass clothing that they would wear on site back in the, back in the fifties and sixties. And, and I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure that I saw this kid and I have zero proof of it, but that is my, that is my, I know that Penhurst something more is happening there, you know? But see, seeing something like that is kind of like a calming feeling because maybe he's there just just to watch you or just you know look over you. Um, oh. Have you have you seen him after that at all that you know of? So I I haven't. Um, I've been given photos of of uh, spirits that look like what he looked like. Oh, that's awesome! Um, so I've seen other people's captures that have kind of the same body type. Um, that that kind of like speak to me like oh this is this is definitely similar um but i mean on occasion i'm walking i'll be standing talking with somebody and my keys will jingle on my belt i'm not moving and my keys will jingle um one of the big things that we'll get at penhurst a lot is people will have their pants tugged on like mm. a little kid tugging on your belt or your, your your pants we get that all the time people get that experience um and I've had that happen. I've had it happen enough that I ignore it now. You know, <laughs> I don't have to worry about anybody stealing my wallet. Oh, and <laughs> There's so many people that investigate and will go to locations several times and not experience anything. And I'm sitting here talking to a guy who daily has so much happen that it's just become the norm. Yeah. And you just yeah. go on about your day. Well, well, and and once again, as a site. I can't tell you you're going to have a paranormal experience because I can't. Exactly. Um, you may, you may not. And it's up to you to decide if you have one or not. But what I will tell you at Penhurst, overwhelmingly, our guests have some sort of experience. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmingly. Some, yeah. Something, a lot of it's very personal. Something tugs on them. Something plays with their hair. Um, it's very personal. Um, and then sometimes they get EVPs. Sometimes they get stuff through the spirit box sometimes they'll get photos you know and we're not talking orbs we're talking like shadow figures and stuff like really really convincing evidence that's like you know what i can officially say that penhurst is reportedly haunted <laughs> you know it's reportedly haunted i can't verify outside of my own personal experience i can't tell you you're going to have a paranormal experience well, but you yeah. you're going to something something will happen yeah, it's not guaranteed. And here's the thing: look at the look how many buildings you get to choose from at Penhurst to investigate. So if you, I mean, you're, it's like winning lottery, man. When that happens, look, you got so many buildings to investigate, and I'm sure there's so many people that's been in here to investigate these locations. These spirits are just probably just like, I'm tired of this. You know? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I think I think they've now. learned. I think the spirits, uh, the, the, any of the intelligent spirits, are at a point now that they they re, they know what's happening they kind of oh, get yeah. like oh they're here with these lights i'm gonna go play with them well, um, so the day, it's such a fun uh experience because here you have these kids that were 
like so harshly neglected and just mistreated and then it's like all of a sudden they have all these people coming to see them and bringing all these toys and things that they're probably just amazed by because you know people coming in with these flashlights and recorders and phones um as a spirit who existed in the early 1900s you know to them they probably think that they're experiencing magic and i can just yeah on a mentally slower level, I guess, I don't want to be disrespectful in any way when I say it like that. Um, I just, I find it so hard to believe that they could even process the shift mm -hmm. between their existence on deathly plane, living plane, whatever, however you want to word that. Um, so it's like, I would just, I would love to be able to communicate with those spirits in a way that um, as a mommy, you know, just thinking about, I grew up too, my mother is a, um, it's now deemed, uh, FMD, functionally mentally disabled. Um, I've just been around it my whole life. I did peer tutoring with her classroom and, um, I've just learned a lot about how to interact with someone who can't speak to me or, you know, uh, and just, I would want to go with that my little mommy heart and just comfort these little kids in the best way that I could. And yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, I understand that's... that. That is, uh, that is actually a very common feeling is uh, mm -hmm. we, 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 we give them such reverence and respect. And it's something that I don't believe that they had when they were living. Exactly, and I believe that's why they're so comfortable, and that's and why we're also like, you're not allowed to shout at my, you're not allowed to shout at these spirits, yeah, you know. And I'm sorry if that's what if that's what you paid to do. I happily refund you. Like, <laughs> have a nice night. Yeah. I'd rather you not investigate on our site than make any of these, especially if Penhurst, make any of these spirits feel unwelcome. You know. Yeah. So with both locations, uh, I know Penhurst has got their. Um, paranormal stuff, but Eloise, which one has the darker side and has the the, the darker uh, paranormal activity? I should say, and like I, said, I don't mean it. In, I would in, say in so. Going off, going off the reports, yeah, I would say that Eloise has the much much darker presence of paranormal activity. Penhurst has has its has its more angry spirits in some areas, but. Predominantly, it's 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 a lot of very friendly encounters and very mellow encounters that happen at Penners. At Eloise, um, there's been some pretty pretty significant reports of almost almost like poltergeist level activity. Yeah, um, where seen. people are being pushed, people are you know, I had one. I trust him. I trust him as I would trust a brother who told me that he was up on the fifth floor, which the fifth floor is probably the most haunted area on the entire property. It's amazing. It's the old uh, maximum security area. And he was standing in the hallway and something, something ran to him in the hallway, like bull charged him and like paint was falling off the ceiling and the walls as it was rushing forward, like something right out of a movie. Uh, and he said it was, it was one of the most terrifying experiences ever. Um, mm -hmm. We have at Eloise, there is a, a phenomenon, and I can only call it a phenomenon. It's been caught on camera. It's been caught on video. 
um, mm-hmm. of these things that my investigators have started calling them creepers. And what yeah. a creeper is, is it's a shadow figure that hugs the ground, hugs the wall, and moves like some sort of, you know, non-human entity where it's like crawling on the ground or it's crawling on walls or it's peeking around doorways. And these are shadow figures that don't have a humanoid shape, which to mm-hmm. me is extremely disturbing, you know, um, because then what, what is it? Is it the manifestation of the suffering of all those people in a physical form? Um, there's so many different things it could be, but I do know that when people experience the creepers, they are not feeling welcomed. You know, it's, it's, it's certainly a, an experience that is described as, as, is terrifying yeah negative terrifying um there's nothing really positive about it mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've done a lot of research on Eloise and and they have like you just said they have a lot of malicious negativity going on there and a uh, lot more worse than Pinhurst. Pinhurst has its you know its own dominant entities but Eloise, man, is is if you're bang for your buck, if you want to go try to have a huge, you know, paranormal night, and just like you said, man, it's not like a light switch. You can't turn on or turn off. It happens when it happens. Yeah. I will say that Pennhurst is more consistent with Mm -hmm. findings, but Eloise has much more dramatic reports. You know, whereas Pennhurst, it's, hey, something pushed my camera off the table. At Eloise, it's, Hey, something tried to push me down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's a, it's a different environment. When you were I know you're marketing for both locations, but when you were coming up to try to get this job for these locations, man, as the operations manager, did you know the history prior to this or what was going through your thoughts when you started finding out, "Oh my god, what what am I doing?" So my operations position at Eloise is, is because I am a pretty decent operations manager at Penhurst. That's why I get to do the Eloise stuff is because they need a good operations manager. And it's a similar model. It's a historic site. It's got a haunted attraction. It does paranormal. It does history. Like I'm very good at operating under those circumstances. Mm-hmm. But Penhurst, I've known about Penhurst for years. And in fact, back in the late 90s, I was one of those ruffians trespassing on the property. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, I was I was part of that crew. I was ghost hunting at Pennhurst back when Bill Clinton was president, you know, um, and that, uh, you know, I would break. I, I even had an area in the Philadelphia building that I, I vividly remember getting drunk with friends multiple times in this one area of the Philadelphia building. And uh, so I knew about Pennhurst. I didn't know. I knew about Pennhurst, but I didn't understand Pennhurst. Um, and it wasn't until I spent a a significant amount of time talking to some former residents and then doing my own research and really starting to, starting to build this idea of what Pennhurst was actually was. And in 2013 and then in 2016, I had two daughters. I had a daughter born in 2013 and a daughter born in 2016. And both of them are special needs. Um, both are both are autistic, and it was that 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 changed the whole thing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it 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 really the the value of the site is not our is not our haunted attraction. 
are. The value of the site is not is not putting on paranormal investigations. The value to me of the Penhurst site now is telling the story of people who literally didn't have voices, of making sure that we as a society recognize that we can never, ever allow that kind of stuff to ever happen again. And we're still not doing it right, but we need to, we need to all need to do better. You know, so it kind of changed it for me. So what do you hope paranormal researchers gain when they come to these locations, man? What do you hope that they get from it or maybe have more of of appreciation for these locations and what happened? What's your thoughts? Well, I, I of course hope they have an appreciation for the site, both sites. They have a rich and, 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 and very deep history. And some of it is very dark. Some of it is, some of it is uplifting, but I'd love for them to understand the site. And I mean, in regards to paranormal research, you never know when somebody's going to get that, that final crucial piece of evidence, that crucial piece of data from an investigation. It could be anybody at any time that turns the world on its head, that lets us really look behind the veil and have a better understanding of what is beyond and what is out there. Um, having, having these sites available and having people document and record and study means that it's one more opportunity for us to blow the lid off the entire question of what comes next. There you go. And and that's, that's where we want to be. Brianna, do you have another question before we go? No, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmingly, um, envious of your law. Well, you guys could come up and see us. I mean, we're you just just come up and see Penhurst. We could well, do that. We're, we're going to talk to uh, we're going to talk to GM on some things here, and we may work something out here. But folks, please, please give a big shout out to our guest tonight, GM Warner. We appreciate you, GM, for coming back on here, man. Honestly, this has been uh, two locations in in my book top top five places I've been wanting to go to. Just for the simple fact of the history, and uh, I know it's going to sound weird, but, but for everybody who knows me, I love history. But it just for me to pay a little bit of respect to those who shouldn't have lost their lives, they did, you know. So, but uh, man, you're welcome on here anytime you want to. This is awesome. This is a really good podcast tonight. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I had to make up for last week, man. So I, uh, you know. We appreciate it. Folks, tune in next Tuesday. We'll have Daryl Marston back on here from A&E Ghost Hunters. And he's coming back on the show to make up his time because, I don't know, things happen. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm time, sure he's much busier than I am. <laughs> <laughs> the last time he was on here, I don't know what happened. We were talking fine, and every time he would talk to get into a good story, it was just like a flat line. I was like, what? And oh, wow. It was really, really bad. But anyway, we'll make that up next Tuesday, folks. Subscribe to the YouTube page, Beyond the Paranormal Podcast. Just go to YouTube, search it up, click like. That's all you have to do. Subscribe and also like the Facebook page as well. Me and Rihanna's going to talk to Mr. Jim here on some things. So, folks, see you next Tuesday. Have a good weekend. And uh, tomorrow's supposed to be really bad with storms and stuff here in eastern Kentucky. And uh, stay safe, folks. Stay safe. See you all. Bye.